want to get back into our look at Revelation. Uh, in uh, We're looking at chapter 17 and, and 18, sort of, today in what Sarah's called this accidental sermon series on Revelation. After Sarah's sermon last Sunday, I suggest you lower your expectation just a little bit this morning. Uh, we're going to going to give it our best shot here but anyway that was really that was really good um so she covered the seven bowls of of wrath briefly uh, that or that are found in <clears throat> that are found in revelation 16 so so far if you've been if you've been keeping track we've had the opening of seven seals which brought about judgment and then we've had seven trumpets that were sounded which brought judgment and then seven bowls were poured out which brought judgment I, I, I don't want to mess up anybody's uh, theology here, but I, I don't necessarily think that all, all these events are chronological. Uh, in other words, I, I don't think it's like, well, you got those seven, and then now here's a new seven coming on, starting on Wednesday or whatever. I think there's overlap in all this because if you read back, it's like, and all the trees were destroyed, and then it's like, and then a third of the trees. And I'm like, well, I thought they were all destroyed. So it's, it's destruction and judgment that's coming in this kind of global sense. And so, again, there, there's overlap, and, and I, I don't think it's necessarily that you follow one after the other. However, all of these terrible events serve a similar purpose, and that is to cause the readers to realize that their sense of security has been or will be stripped away. There's a couple of reasons for all this, and, but this is the first. So if you read back over the judgments that John describes, there's danger and destruction everywhere in the natural world, in the physical world, the planet. That's what, that's what we read about. So in the sky, stars are falling, the sun and moon are affected. In the waters, the sea and the rivers and the springs turn to blood. In the earth, uh, the scripture says that the mountains and islands are removed from their places. I got to tell you, that's a bad thing. All right, if you can't if you can't find Hawaii, you know, or if you can't find a mountain that was there last week, that's not a good thing. I remember uh, somebody talking about the scripture. It's in Isaiah that says, "And the trees of the field will clap their hands." And uh, it was a pastor in California, and he said uh, during one of the earthquakes, you could see the trees kind of slapping together or whatever. And he said, and I thought then, oh, that's not a good thing. When the tree, we sing that, like, and the trees of the field will clap their hands. That's not a good thing, all right? You don't want to see your trees clapping out there. Um, And so destruction has come. And so think about that for a minute this morning. When you, I mean, we read all this and kind of go, yeah, that's going to be bad, all right. But think about it. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. You know, right? There, there's no safe place when all of the earth is crumbling and falling apart. Mountains are being removed. Islands are disappearing. All the rivers have turned to blood and all the things that are going to cats and dogs living together. All this uh, cataclysmic kind of stuff that's happening or whatever. It's like, well, what are we going to do? It feels hopeless if nature is imploding and you can't get off the planet, right? I mean, this is how frightening it is. But in spite of the fact that these are judgments and that uh, the little heading there above uh, Revelation 16 in most, if you've got an NIV Bible, it's going to say the seven bowls of God's wrath. And that's exactly the way it's described. Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. But in spite of the fact that this is God's wrath, there is another purpose in all of this. And that is that all of these events serve as a call to repentance. 
So all that's happening is saying, you better take a look at what you're trusting in, because if you're trusting in the planet, if you're trusting in material things, it's going to disappear, all right? The planet won't be able to save you. Earth won't be able to save you. You talk about climate change, this is climate change, what's described here. It's all going to crumble. So you can't trust in that. It's being stripped away. And then he tells us, but listen, beyond all that, he's calling us to repentance. That even in the midst of the judgment, God is still calling people people to to escape the judgment and to repent. He still gives us a choice. So look at the response to the fourth bowl of judgment. It says they were seared by the intense heat because the sun was giving power to scorch people on earth with fire, it says. And so they were seared by the intense heat and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and to glorify him. The hope, the plan is that they would, they would be drawn to repentance. God, have mercy on us. We've sinned, and, 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 and that's why this is coming. Lord, forgive us. The same way in, when the fifth bowl was poured out, the response was the same. People cursed the God of heaven. But verse 11 says, but they refused to repent of what they had done. And the only choice and the only response is to turn to God and repent and surrender to him and call for mercy. But the people stubbornly refused, even in the midst of all of that, they refused to turn to God and turn away from their sin. And I think it's important for us to understand God is giving everyone who reads the book of Revelation, everyone who recognizes the signs, he's given us a warning There are consequences for our actions. There is judgment that's coming. And God is still giving us an opportunity to repent. Mercy and grace and forgiveness are still available if we'll turn to him in repentance and faith, even when nature and the planet are convulsing and crumbling around us. But not only will the earth and the sea and the sky fail us, but all that we've trusted in, in terms of what we've built, society's structure, civilization, its economic and political strength and power, all of that will falter and fail as well. So the world system, all that people rely on, all that we reverence, all that we kind of idolize and long for, all of that will crumble into dust and ash. Our wisdom, our intelligence, Our wealth, ambition, strength, pride, independence, all we've built and devised and prided ourselves in, all we've created and trusted in, all of the things of this world will fail us. It'll be gone, judged, and destroyed. Why? Well, part of the reason judgment comes is because we made the world and its culture our God. We surrendered to the allure of wealth and fame and popularity and sexual immorality and moral compromise. We traded a relationship with God for access to money and political power. Israel did it. The church has done it. Every culture's done it. We betrayed our covenant with God, loved the world more than we loved him. We loved money and things and position and power more than we loved God or loved people. And John warned us in one of his early letters in 1 John, he said, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, it comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Notice that the world and its desires pass away, 
but the man who does the will of God lives forever. John, in 1 John, is describing Babylon and the fact that it's going to pass away, that this world is going to pass away. And he knew it to be true when he wrote that epistle of 1 John. And now he sees it happening in this vision on Patmos as he writes the Revelation. Revelation 17 and 18 then portray the world system. First, John portrays, or the Holy Spirit portrays, the world system as an immoral woman, a prostitute, in fact. Called her the mother of prostitutes or harlot. And then secondly, the woman then is, we realize, is a personification of a city. She's more than the the mascot, but she represents, if the golden driller... (laughs) We're dressed in purple and scarlet. and Anyway, uh, yeah, that, that, you know, he kind of represents Tulsa or whatever. Uh, well, she represents Babylon. So she's the personification of a city, Babylon. And Babylon is a portrayal of, of the world's corrupt and broken and sinful system. Bab, uh, Babylon is empire. It's man's system apart from God in rebellion to God. It's our political and financial and social system that sees no need for God. It includes this false religion or false spirituality that excludes God in favor of worshiping the spirit of man. If you've got, uh, you know, an atheist church, as like Kirk was mentioning uh, this morning, well then, yeah, that's, that's that kind of thing that just kind of glorifies the spirit of man and we don't believe anything about God. So Babylon is civilization without God, rejecting God. Babylon is humanism. So in chapter 17 and 18, you can think of it this way, that Babylon is woman and it's the city and it's the empire and it's the world system. So, so when we read this, and I know people have tried to, uh, we've, we've put all kinds of things to who Babylon is and well, it's this church, it's the apostate church, it's Rome, it's New York City or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's all of that, all right? It's all of that combined in the way I see it. So when in these two chapters, it's the woman, it's the city, it's the empire, it's the system. And just a note here as we, as we head into the body of this message here for the next few minutes. Typically when we read Revelation, by the time we get to this part of the book, all right, when we're looking at 17 and 18... We're not thinking of ourselves, the church, as being anywhere in the picture because we're in heaven having a big meal. And uh, we're hanging out with Jesus and waiting for him to say, mount up, and then we're coming back to earth. And so that's kind of the way our eschatology is played out. And we're going to come back and watch him take care of all the sinners who missed the rapture and have been doing bad things on the earth. But remember, I said, I don't think you can take all of this, and I'm not mocking that, but I, I don't think you can take all of this as chronological, one thing following another. And, and here's the reason I'm saying this. I think when John's churches read this, they didn't read it and go, whoo, boy, that's going to be something, isn't it? I mean, those, those suckers living in 2023, they're going to be in real trouble. I don't think that's what happened. I think they read it and they heard a warning from John and from the Holy Spirit coming directly at them. And we would be wise to listen and to hear the warnings from Babylon this morning, the warnings of the Holy Spirit. And you'll, you'll see what I mean, because we'll find, we'll find God's people uh, in, this, uh, in this passage. 
So if you look back at, at Revelation 12, we saw a woman clothed with the sun who was pregnant and gave birth to a son. And if you remember weeks back, we said this woman represented, uh, it was the Virgin Mary, that's the, the birth of Jesus. It represented the church. It represented, uh, you know, giving birth to, to the church and to Jesus. Well, in stark contrast now, so we go from this woman who was the church or the virgin, now we see a woman in Revelation 17. John writes, There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names. And the woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. And she held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And a title was written on her forehead, Mystery, Babylon, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus." So the woman that was described in Revelation 12 was being chased by a seven-headed monster trying to devour the child and the woman. The woman in Revelation 17 is riding a seven-headed monster and drinking the blood of the martyrs of God's people. So as I said, we've got this really vivid contrast. So if John's readers, when we read it, it's like, well, I know whose side I'm going to be on. Get me to the woman in Revelation 12. I want nothing to do with the woman that's riding the monster, all right? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm kind of making up my own stories there. But uh, anyway, I can just hear some guys going, yeah, you should have seen. Anyway. As I said, this woman is the personification of Babylon. And Babylon is the world system, the empire in opposition to God. And two things happen with, with the empire and with this woman, right? They're seducing God's people into compromise and into spiritual adultery because Revelation 17, it's all about adulteries. It's about, uh, verse 2 says, With her the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. And so she's seducing the world to come and, and to worship her and to, and to forget about God and to, and to live by all that she's offering. And so she's a seductress in, in that sense, seducing God's people into compromise and spiritual adultery, or she's threatening and persecuting them to give in and renounce God or die as martyrs. And so this was understood by John's readers because both seduction and persecution by the Roman Empire confronted them every day. They could walk out and say, tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to offer sacrifice and burn incense to the Caesar, to the emperor, because that way I can have a better job. And so they're seduced by the world or they can say not doing that and they don't get a job or they get thrown into, you know, a pit somewhere or into prison or executed or whatever. And so there was seduction to compromise and then there was persecution against them. So John's readers were like, no, we see this constantly. And John writes about nations and kings, again, a picture of the world system and empire warring against God and his people. And in verse 13, it says, they have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. And the beast is, is the devil incarnate, basically. And they'll make war against the lamb, but the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. I love it that in the midst of all the judgment and all the persecution and all the stuff, John and the Holy Spirit keep sticking that in there. 
Watch the lamb stay with him because I got to tell you, he's king of kings and lord of lords. And it's going to look bad some days, but he's going to overcome. They're going to war against him. They're going to try to destroy the lamb, but he will overcome them. And guess what? You're part of his victory. We're going to be there rejoicing in victory. We'll overcome because we are with him, his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So John's description of this woman in Revelation 17 and of the city of Babylon in in chapter 18, they expose her, the woman and the city, for what she really is. Again, we're talking about the woman here. She is the embodiment of the city and the empire. Remember, the devil, the beast, is a deceiver trying to persuade people. And and this is an important thing to to notice in, in the midst of the world we live in. The deceiver is trying to persuade the world that foolish things are wise and that wrong is right and that good is evil, right? That cheap imitations are better than the real thing. That's that's the deception that the world's buying in. That's the confusion that the world buys in. And hopefully the church is wise enough and has enough light and clarity and knows the truth. And so we're saying, no, 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 you can't fool me. I know that's evil. I know that's wrong. And I know this is right. I know this is truth and that's, and that's false. And we're going to hold to the truth of the gospel. We're holding and standing in that. But chapter 17 and 18 show us the truth in an effort to persuade and convince us to not be deceived or led astray. So the world looks and says, oh man, this, this woman's beautiful, right? I mean, she's gorgeous and she's everything I've ever wanted, everything I've ever dreamed of. And she's sensuous and sexy and beautiful and, and uh, you know, she's dressed all this way and she's got all this jewelry on and all this stuff. And John pulls back the picture and says, yeah, take a good look. Take a good look at this woman. And he begins to describe her. We're tempted to compromise. We're drawn to the woman. We're drawn to the city. We're drawn to the empire. We're drawn to the pleasure and power of the world system. And John exposes her and shows us this woman. And he says, this is no dignified lady. She's not beautiful. She's not sophisticated. She's not elegant. As the theologian Frank Sinatra said, the lady's a tramp. She's a harlot. She's a prostitute. He says, look, you're talking about it like, oh, she's so glamorous. She's stumbling along in a drunken stupor. You talk about her dressed in beauty. She's dressed in the most garish, outlandish clothing. There's nothing elegant about her. Instead of riding on a beautiful horse, she's sitting astride a seven-headed monster. She's holding a golden cup, and you think, oh, that'll be filled with the best best wine. And instead, you look at it, and she's drinking raw sewage. It's filled with, he says, abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. And then, uh, you know, right, we're getting the picture of this woman. And then he says, and we can just imagine, maybe it was while she was passed out drunk that somebody else who was high on something thought, oh, just to mock her or whatever, maybe with lipstick or an eyeliner, he takes a pen and writes on her forehead, Babylon the great mother of prostitutes. That's the woman. And John then, by the Holy Spirit, and Phil, I hope by the Holy Spirit, this morning is saying, now take a good look. See what we've been sleeping with. See who we've been committing adultery with. See who we've been compromising with. Because this, this is no lady. This is a harlot. She's a mess. And she only leads people to destruction. Look 
look who we're compromising with. This is part of Revelation's warning to the church and to all of us. Open your eyes and see who you've been with. And when we do that, we're disgusted when we see our sin. We stop and think, look what we've done. We've been unfaithful to God. We chose that over faithfulness to the Lord. We've committed adultery with the world and the message of Revelation stops us in our tracks. I, I remember, and i got to hurry, I know, but uh, I remember years ago, it was one of those Saturday night or Monday night prayer meetings, I think. It doesn't matter. It may have been... It was either right over there praying or it was right over there on that front row praying early one Sunday morning. It's been a long time. And I saw this vision. I saw this beautiful uh, creature coming toward me and I knew that in a moment it was like, oh, that's, that's uh, I mean, she uh, was beautiful in all these ways, but it was like, that's lust. That's the spirit of lust. And all of a sudden as I prayed and said, Lord, deliver me from the, as I prayed, all of a sudden, it was like all this was stripped away, and it was the most hideous-looking thing I'd ever seen. And I literally, in this vision that I was having, I could, I could smell something that was just putrid and disgusting. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, and that's what lust is all about. It fills your, your mind and your eyes with an image of something, but when the truth is stripped away, it's something that wants to destroy you and damn your soul. That's what is happening in Revelation 17 and 18. God's rolling back. He's exposing the woman, Babylon. And so now Revelation 18 moves from speaking of Babylon as the woman. In fact, the last verse of 17 says, The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. And so now he begins to speak about Babylon as the city and empire. And then immediately, the city is described in the same way uh, as the woman. So uh, where is it? It's in, yeah, somewhere. There it is, verse 16. O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. So the description of the city is the same kind of description we got of Babylon, the woman. So this city now, the seat of the world's power and wealth and influence and commerce and military might, this city that, that never sleeps, this city where every kind of sensual thought and pleasure is indulged, where every kind of immoral behavior is glorified, where greed and excess are celebrated as virtues, in one hour, the scripture says, all of her wealth and glory are gone. Over and over again, he says, in one hour, the doom has come. In one hour, she's brought to ruin. In one hour, her boasts are silenced. In one hour, she's consumed. And all that loved her and were enamored by her and, and idolized her, they stand back in fear and declare, O great city, O Babylon, city of power, in one hour, your doom has come. It's, it's devastating loss, and we won't take time to read it all this morning, but you can read it this afternoon. Fallen is Babylon, a home now for demons, a haunt for every evil spirit, for every unclean thing. And, and on and on, the merchants are there to weep and mourn over because no one buys their cargoes anymore. So the economy crashes in the midst of all this. The merchants who sold those things, they're now far off and they're frightened. Every sea captain, I mean, the rich are grieving. Uh, on and on it goes. And so John's first century readers would have read this with the Roman Empire in mind. 
And the possibility that the great power of that empire, the military power that threatened them, and the economic might that seduced them to compromise, just come and, and enjoy you know, all the wealth, that all of that could be gone in an hour was inconceivable and un- unthinkable. If 25 years ago I had said, you know, and prophesied to you, and the day will come when the seat of power in the United States and economic power, the World Trade Centers, will be dust and rubble, you'd all go, yeah, 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 that happens in Revelation sometime, doesn't it? And that everything can grind to a halt in an hour. Good luck if you're flying anywhere. Everything can, everything can grind, all right? One guy hits a keystroke error somewhere on a computer and all the planes get grounded. I mean, everything can fall apart in an hour. It can happen pretty quickly. And that's what he's describing here. And, and they can't imagine it. How is this possible? We're threatened. It's the greatest military might the world has ever known. It's the Roman Empire. They, they, they bring this uh, Pax Roma. They, they bring this world peace by their military domination and the threat. And, and it's, it's the richness of their empire. What do you mean it'll all be gone? And yet it was all going to happen. And so John's readers are trying, they're thinking in those terms. And at the same time, it's a warning to them. Don't put your hope and trust in an empire. He's already told them you can't put your trust in this planet because it's going gonna, it's gonna to fall apart. But don't put your trust in an empire because it can be gone in a moment too, in an hour. Don't put your trust in anything but in the Lamb. And the warning's the same for us. So let me show you real quick three additional warnings from Babylon. First is don't try to deal with the devil You'd think we'd know this by now, but you can't negotiate with the devil. And the warning from Babylon, I find it fascinating. It shows us that evil turns on itself. Evil consumes itself. So not even evil partners can trust the evil that's there. So look at this. The woman in chapter 17 wars against God's people. And the Bible says she's drunk with the blood of the saints, right? And then she makes a deal with the beast... And they together war against the lamb. It's down in in verse uh, 14. And so they'll make war against the lamb. And then that's when he says, but the lamb will overcome. They make war. So the woman makes a deal with the beast. They battle against the lamb. But then the Bible says the beast will turn on the woman, the prostitute. And in verse 16, it says, and they will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They'll eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Evil is consumed by evil. It's like the demons saying, oh, don't, don't just cast us out of, of legion. Cast us into those pigs. We need a body. And so Jesus says, okay, go in the pigs. And then they run them off the cliff and drown them all. What are you guys, stupid? Well, no, we're evil. We're demons. We can't help. We can't do anything good. We can't help but do evil. So if you're trying to negotiate with evil, all evil can do is be evil, Right? If you're, the devil is a, a deceiver and a liar, then all he can do is deceive and lie. You can't deal with him. It's not going to end well. The thing to do, the Bible says, is to resist the devil, flee temptation, turn to Jesus, give yourself to him, and put your trust in him. But if you're hoping to deal and negotiate with the devil, I think I've made a deal here where he's going to back off a little bit and I'll be okay. That's not going to happen because he doesn't back off because he doesn't know how. He doesn't know how. The second thing, second warning is to not, don't compromise with Babylon. 
And this is the ultimate warning from all of 17 and 18. John warned that with her the kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adultery. He's talking about Babylon. And the pressure to compromise was everywhere for John's readers and it is everywhere for us today. And John's readers understood the warning and we should too. Craig Kester in his commentary on Revelation wrote, Many of the inhabitants of the earth, including some Christians, became intoxicated with the prosperity that the Romans provided and were willing to commit spiritual adultery, fornication with the cult of the emperor. So it's what I mentioned before. So in order to have a good job, you're going to sacrifice to, the, to Caesar, to the god. You're going you're gonna to offer incense or whatever. And so they were willing to do that for, for the gain that came, and he calls that spiritual adultery. And then he writes, in the most basic sense, however, fornication, this spiritual adultery, means not only participation in the idolatrous worship of Roman gods, including Caesar, but accepting Rome as the point of orientation for life in this world, that is, making Rome herself a god. And the temptation that we're looking at here is the temptation to commit spiritual adultery and idolatry, as Sarah was talking about uh, before. Adultery and idolatry. And the, and the goal is of Babylon, let's get everybody to commit both. Adultery and idolatry. We've made, that's what this warning's about. So the question is, have we made this world and possessions and things and all that this world offers, have we made this our God? Have we compromised with the spirit of the age, the spirit of this world? Have wealth and position and power and success and happiness become more important than obeying Jesus, more important than God, more important than pleasing God and serving him? And John then heard a warning voice from heaven in the midst of this. And, and this is why I've said chronologically, I, I don't think we can just say, well, we don't have to worry about this. Look what he says, come out of her, my people. Come out of her, my people, so that you'll not share in her sins, so that you'll not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to heaven, and God has remembered her crimes. Listen, it was a word to John's churches. It's a word to Carbondale. It's a word to everybody that loves Jesus and that's living in the midst of a really broken, corrupt, sinful world. Don't compromise. The warning is to come out of her, to separate ourselves from the sinful practices and values of the world throughout the scripture. God calls his people to come out from among them and be separate. We're called to be a holy people, to be holy as God is holy, set apart to God. We're in the world, but we're not of it. We're living in this world, but we're to be light in the darkness. We don't buy into the world's values. We don't buy into the world's system or the lifestyle that, that is destined for destruction. And if we lust after the world and if we compromise with the world, then John says, or the Holy Spirit says, we'll suffer judgment with the world. So where is your allegiance today? Is it to Jesus or is it to this world? And the truth is the call of this world is loud and bold. And Babylon is unrelenting in its pressure and in its call to compromise. It's unrelenting. It's calling us, but we are citizens of another kingdom. We're looking for another city, not Babylon, but a heavenly city. We've heard a different call and we, and we move towards that call. We listen to another kingdom. Compromise with the world is fatal. 
church. Compromise with the world is fatal. It's time to come out of the world so we won't share in our sins and we won't share in our judgment. Remember, Babylon's going to be destroyed in one hour. The world, John said in 1 John, the world and all this stuff, it's passing away. But Jesus and eternity and God's people, we're going to last forever. Here's the third and last warning. Don't fall asleep. Because not only does Babylon try to destroy us, not only does Babylon try to seduce us to get us to compromise, but there's the danger in the midst of this for us to be lured asleep. Poppies, right? In the Wizard of Oz. We're just almost there. And then it's poppies and we just lay down and go to sleep. We cover our head. We compromise. There's just danger there. We close our eyes, we ignore the clear warning signs, and we go to sleep. And in the middle of this scene of judgment in chapter 16, when the bowls and the wrath of God's being poured out, we hear this warning from Jesus in verse 15. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go naked and be shamefully exposed. My dad or grandpa would have said, keep your britches on, right? Stay awake, stay alert, keep your britches on, keep your shoes on. He comes as a thief, unexpected by the world, but not unexpected by us. Jesus already told us when we see all these signs, lift up your head, your redemption's drawing near. And as we see events happening and as we see the signs everywhere, the call is for us to stay awake. As, as Kirk said a little bit ago, quoting Dwayne, uh, Dwayne Jones, we're not running out of money, we're running out of time. We're running out of time, so we have to be alert and we have to stay awake, be prepared, keep your clothes nearby. In fact, stay clothed in the garments that Jesus gave us. Be clothed in garments of his righteousness. Otherwise, we're caught naked and our shame is exposed and there'll, there'll be no time to get ready then. Jesus is coming and he shouts to us in this warning from Babylon, behold, I come like a thief, unexpected by the world. So get ready, be alert, stay awake and be watchful because the Lord is coming. And there's just one last thing I'd tell you. It's not so much a warning as just one last word from Revelation 16. John said, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. And Jesus said from the cross, it's finished, meaning the plan of redemption was completed and set in place and salvation was open to all who would turn to Christ and repent of their sins and make him Lord and Savior. There's mercy and grace available today, but a day will come when God from the throne will say, it's done, finished and complete. And the time and opportunity for salvation will be over and all that remains is judgment and eternity without God. And the warnings are there. And just be aware that there is a final, it is done, and it's over, and we need to know that. So how will we respond this morning? And it's almost time for Sunday school, but I'm just asking. Do you need to come to Jesus today and be saved, repent of your sins? Do you need to come out from the world and stop compromising? Do you need to wake up to some, some personal warnings the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart? Because today is the best day. Today is the only day. And now is the time to heed these warnings from Babylon and then let us move to action. So would you bow your hearts this morning? And I want you just to take a minute to examine your heart. We're just going to tarry a little bit longer. I just, just look into your heart and ask yourself, am I ready? Do I need to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness for my sins and ask him to save me? I, 
I've never really done that, or maybe I did a long, long time ago, but it's been a long time and I haven't really been living for God like I should. And I need to repent and get this right. Maybe that's you. Well, today's the day. The Bible says if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just. He'll forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All you need to do is ask Him right there. You don't need me to give you words to say. You don't need to repeat a prayer. It needs to come from your heart. You just need to tell Him, Lord, I need you to save me. I need my sins forgiven. I need a new life in you because I'm a wreck. I'm a wreck. I've been sleeping with Babylon and, and I need to I need salvation. Or maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's saying to you, you know, you realize you've been compromising. You realize there's some areas in your life where you've been, you've been in bed with Babylon again. You've compromised in the way you conduct your business and you've told lies. You've lied to your spouse. You've lied to a business partner. You're not speaking the truth. You're not living the truth. There's lust that's unbridled that's leading you away from God, leading you away from relationships. The Holy Spirit's just dealing with you about something, a personal warning that you need to come out from that. Come away from that and, and respond to the Lord. Give yourself back to God and to walk in holiness. So Lord, you survey the hearts of everybody in this sanctuary this morning and everyone that's watching online today. I don't want to know. I don't need to know. But Lord, for anybody that's here this morning, anybody that's heard the sound of my voice, I pray, Lord, that if they need to call on you, let it happen now. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Take my sin away. Take the darkness out of my heart and let your light shine in. Lord, save them today as they call upon you for whoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And so, Lord, we're looking to you today. We understand the message from from Babylon that in, a, in an hour it can all go away. And we've got nothing to hope in, not the planet to save us, not our strength or our money, our wealth, our position, our job, nothing can save us but Jesus. And recognizing those warnings, we turn to you, Lord Jesus. Come save us and rescue us. And Lord, for anybody that needs to stop compromising and, and to come out from Babylon, to stop sleeping with Babylon and to step into holiness once again, Lord, would you strengthen them, help them to say no and then to say yes to you? It's what repentance is about, to turn away and to go a new direction. And so, Lord, we repent of our sins and we turn towards you. And some are already saying, but I've tried and I just can't do it. I just can't find the strength. But our strength is found in you. Your grace is sufficient for us to enable us and strengthen us. So when we say yes and turn to you, you'll help us take the next step and the next step and the next step. We can walk in freedom. We can walk out of addiction and walk into health and strength and life. We can walk out of the darkness because Jesus takes us from darkness to light. Lord, let it be. And let us recognize the urgency of this hour to serve you and to live for you, to heed the warnings from Babylon and let it move us to action to please you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. There's a way that seems right to a man, but when those ways are away from God and his calling, 
There are ways that are polluted. There are ways that will cause you to slip and fall. Those ways lead to death. But there is a way to follow the Lord, a path that leads into righteousness, a path that grows brighter as you walk into the glory of his